Welcome to There's More to That Story, the most popular podcast in the United States and the entire world where TJ Mercer talks about storytelling and things that are of interest to storytellers. Today, we are going to talk about the greatest prequel ever made. I realize that there's not a whole lot of competition, but that is what we're going to be discussing today. I believe it was Cracked.com. Why did I say that? I know darn well it was Cracked.com. Like uh, five, six years ago, had an article, uh, Why There Will Never Be a Good Prequel. And they gave a lot of really compelling reasons. Uh, I did not relook up this article. I believe most of it was directed at why the Star Wars prequels suck, because, you know, so many things on the internet are about that topic. But however, this podcast is about Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones. No, it's not. Not really. I just wanted to scare you. But inside the article, it talked about a lot of the problems that you have with a prequel. So inside of a successfully told story, you have a character who starts off kind of eh or even bad and... As the story progresses, they become a better person, and a lot of times a more interesting and deep and complex person as the story progresses. So if you have a prequel that follows that character, they have to start out even less interesting than they were at the beginning, and that makes for a a fairly boring story to watch. Exceptions to this rule include, oddly enough, the Star Wars prequels, and if you count it Godfather Part Two which I don't because they're kind of flashbacks to parallel the rise of uh, Don Corleone and his son, Michael Corleone, and showing how the two coincided. But the prequel trilogy is good because it does not follow Luke, it does not follow Han, and it does not follow Leia. Instead, because it follows Darth Vader, you have a character who starts off as a good guy and becomes the horrifying villain that was in the original trilogy. And that works because Darth Vader starts off interesting and it's a redemption story. And in the beginning, he starts off good and becomes bad. And so you get an interesting progression when you do the prequels there. The prequels were botched horribly inside of their execution, but I'm going to have to do a podcast on the prequel trilogy because from a storytelling perspective, there is a lot good about the prequels. It was just the execution of that story that's bad. I kind of want to keep talking about this now, but that's not what this is about. So that's one thing that you need to have for a prequel to be good is it has to somehow you have to start off with a character who's really interesting at the beginning and becomes and so you have a place to start that's not awful. Also with a prequel, there's the lack of tension that you get a lot of the time because you you know that this character lives. So, especially in an action story, there are no life and death fears on the part of the audience because we know the character makes it. And a lot of writers realize that. And they make the mistake of saying, okay, so the audience will know that this character makes it through, so we need to add some side characters that they care about that are not in the next part because... If they care about those side characters, then they'll be concerned about them because they know, oh, they're not in this story, so I don't know what happens to them. I, I don't know if they leave or if they die. They may die, and so that creates some tension, and that, unfortunately, is a mistake because a lot of times you have to make the audience really care about those characters, and usually they end up being more interesting 
than the character that the story is about because you have to focus so much attention on them and saying, I need the audience to care about the danger these guys are in because they can actually be in danger to the audience. And so they kind of lose focus on the character they're supposed to be and the character they're supposed to be looking at comes off as bland and uninteresting. You also run into the problem of it's very difficult to make the audience concerned about those characters because... They know what's going on. We have seen this enough times that when you see these characters, you think, okay, they want me to be concerned about these guys. It also doesn't work because with those characters, what you end up doing is you have to either kill them or you have to come up with a really good reason at the end for them to not be inside of the rest of the series. And it's hard to do that inside of a satisfying way. Even if, especially if it's a really interesting character, because then the audience might become dissatisfied with the next part because they think, I really like this character and I wish that he was in the rest of it. I don't think this was in the article, but prequels create an odd scenario for the audience after the prequel is released because you're not sure should I watch this one first or should I watch. The, the second one first and then go back to the prequel, especially if there if it is a movie that has a pretty big plot twist. Will the prequel ruin that plot twist? So a really good example, of course, is Star Wars, again, because if you watch the prequels first, then one of the greatest and most amazing plot twists ever conceived, No, I Am Your Father, is completely ruined. If you watch the prequels first, you know that that is the case before you even start episode four, and that is just wrong. And because we all know about that one, a lot of people are hesitant to watch a prequel first, and that is a that's a problem. <laughs> These are the roadblocks that I remember being cited inside of that article. So now let's talk about the movie. Like I said, I am not a I do not want to be a critic unless it's something just egregiously bad that I feel like people need to know about. But however, I do enjoy critics on the internet. One of the more fun for me critics is the Nostalgia Critic, and he has talked about this movie, but I feel while he had a lot of just criticism, uh, the story is not particularly creative. The movie itself, the idea is not very original, and we expect more from the studio that made this movie. However, I feel like his, on the whole conclusion about this movie, because of what I'm about to talk about, was wrong. And that this movie is Monsters University. Monsters University is the greatest prequel ever made. There are a lot of spoilers here, so I'm going to absolutely spoil the mess out of Monsters University. If you've not seen it, you should. It's great. Now, why is Monsters, Inc. the greatest prequel ever made? Well, because I feel like it deals with all of those hurdles and it deals with all of them very well. First, the issues that this movie does have. One, it's like a, a toned-down version of Animal House just in the concept and that just makes for kind of an eh experience. It, I mean, it's really funny. The animation is amazing. The story is pretty good. But as a concept goes, it's like, really, Pixar? This is what you did? Now, while the idea to make it Monsters, Universe, Monsters Inc. in college is a little odd because 
there are so many just hugely popular college comedies that have been made through the years. Why would Disney want to make one? Because they can't go as far as a lot of those, excuse me, Disney Pixar, because they can't go as far as a lot of those past movies did. However, when you watch Monsters, Inc., it's a really cool world and you like all of the thought that went into the technology and the design of the buildings and everything. And you think, I would like to see more inside of this world. Unfortunately, with the way that Monsters, Inc. ends, it gets rid of one of the most interesting parts of the Monsters, Inc. concept. The idea that monsters scare people because they somehow use children's screams for power. <clears throat> and when since Monsters, Inc. ends with them discovering laughter is more powerful than scream... They get rid of that. So if you were to do a sequel and give us more of the Monsters Universe, Monsters Incorporated world, you would lose that part of it. So in order to still focus on that aspect of the world, they had to do a prequel. Whether or not they had to focus on the same characters is debatable, but they had to do a prequel because after Monsters, Inc., the Scream thing goes away. It's not a thing anymore. I will also agree with the Nostalgia Critic that... Casting the original voice actors be inside of college is was a silly idea because they were, you know, older when they recorded Monsters, Inc. And then I think it's like 10, 12 years later they came out with the prequel and now all of a sudden they're supposed to be in college. It's just, it doesn't quite work for adults. We were watching and thinking, um, Billy Crystal's in his 60s, late 50s, early 60s. Why in the world is he recording the voice of a college kid? The obvious answer is nobody sounds like Billy Crystal, so, you know. But uh, let's keep going here. So what makes this a great prequel is, so let's look back at the problems. One is tension about the situation. This movie does something amazing because, as I've said before, the ending of a story, I've said it before and other people said it before me. I'm not taking credit for this. The ending of a story must be surprising but inevitable. And this is a perfect example of that because we know how it ends. We know where Mike and Sully end up. So the tension is Mike and Sully are in college and they have been kicked out of the scare program and they make a bet with the dean that if they win the uh the scaring it's almost like olympics but it's uh intramural <laughs> if they win the scaring competition then they will be let back into the scare program so we watch this movie thinking okay obviously they managed to do it because they're scarers or Sully at least is a scarer inside of the last inside of Monsters Inc. So clearly they make it, but they don't. We know how it ends, and the fact that they that Pixar was smart enough to not let them get back into the school was brilliant. It's so good because it's shocking when it happens. You're like, whoa, wait a minute, they're not. Well, how do they become scarers? And so then you get a little a little timeline at the end to let you know how they managed to do it. And it's very satisfying, but it's still, it was a very surprising ending and that Pixar managed to pull off that surprise in a prequel is fantastic. Now, spoilers, there are two plot twists or there's a number of plot twists inside of Monsters, Inc. Uh, one is that Randall is kidnapping kids and using them to power his 
death scream machine. And this movie, while it shows Randall go from being a dweeb to somewhat of a malevolent person, it does not give you any indication that he's going to turn evil. It gives you an indication that he could. You do not see the Randall at the end as somebody who cannot become the Randall in the beginning of Monsters, Inc. But you have no reason to believe that he would be evil inside the end. In fact, it ends with him becoming a rival of Sully, and that's where he starts inside of Monsters, Inc., and it makes perfect sense to us. So if you were to watch Monsters University and then Monsters, Inc., you wouldn't know... You would not believe that Randall was evil. The second plot twist was that uh, Mr. Waternoose was also helping Randall. You don't even see Mr. Waternoose inside this movie, so there's no indication that he would be willing to do that kind of thing. So there's a plot twist that isn't revealed. There's one that is almost is almost revealed inside of the commentary for Monsters, Inc., because I have watched that, because that's the kind of person I am. Uh, the directors and writers were very proud of the little joke at the end that... Roz is the head agent and that is almost spoiled you see her being an agent inside of Monsters University at the very end but her face is completely covered and all you hear is her voice and while she does have a distinct voice I don't think I would assume that it was the same monster if I went between movies because I wouldn't be looking for it and so if, especially if you have like a 9 10 year old kid I don't think they'll catch on to it especially if you give them like a day between that you know, that would throw them off a little bit. So that so there's really nothing spoiled between Monsters University and Monsters, Inc. So now we come to the most difficult, the reason why it is so hard to write a good prequel, and that is the dilemma of characters. And it does it very, 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 very well. So at the beginning of Monsters, Inc., Sully is the best scarer that the company has ever seen. He's a small celebrity inside of the monster world. He's so good at it. Now, before I get to the real reason why this is the best prequel ever, I wanted to also talk about how a couple of things that Monsters University built on the world. So you see people talk about how cool scarers are and all this stuff inside of Monsters, Inc., but you get a real sense of how um, how admired the job is when you see when the story is about people that aren't scares and are looking in on scares, you hear about how they have trading cards for scares and how they know all of their moves and how they are so good at what they do. And they're almost like astronauts and kids are like, I want to be a scarer. And it's, you know, the most elite job you can hope for as a monster. And that's just something that I really like that they brought in and built on inside of Monsters University. So now let's come to the character thing the beginning of Monsters, Inc., Sully is the greatest scarer that the company has ever seen. He's the best in the world. He's a small, he's a celebrity. Everyone knows who he is, but he's also very humble. So what they did inside of Monsters University is they made him a cocky and arrogant jerk. So Sully is a career man. He, you know, he's nice, he's friendly, but he is very much about his company. He's not an independent. He's kind of a cog in a machine. So throughout Monsters, Inc., he moves into thinking for himself until at the end, he's the CEO of the company himself because he knows the correct way to run things because he's able to stand up for his ideas and his ideals. So we need to show how he became that cog, but do so inside of a good way. So by making him a cocky and arrogant jerk who's just full of himself and thinks that he can do everything all by himself, 
what they do is they make him a team player, somebody who is willing to ask other people for help and somebody who know who learns that he is not the smartest. So this may sound a little bit like he reverts the end of Monsters, Inc., but that's not the case. He learns how to ask other people for help and that other people have good ideas, and he goes too far inside of that respect. He becomes, like I said, a cog inside of a machine. He just fits and he does what other people tell him and he does what he's supposed to, and that's all. he's content doing that. Then at the end, however, while he does become independent and thinks for himself, he also is still looking to other people for help. Uh, he knows that he can't get Boo to laugh the way that Mike can, so Mike has to do it. He knows what his weaknesses are, and he finds people that uh, fill them, and that was not who he was at the beginning. He was very much a I-can-do-it-myself person. Mike, at the beginning, is a lackey who is riding Sully's coattails. And at the beginning of Monsters University, he is determined to become the greatest scarer of all time. And by the end of it, he realizes that he won't be the greatest scarer of all time. He's not designed to be the greatest scarer of all time. It's a really deep message for a kid's movie that sometimes you're not designed to be the job that you want there are people that are better than you. It might not be what you're supposed to do. No matter how much you want it, no matter how hard you work, you just may never be good enough. And he realizes that. And so what he does is he has the knowledge, but not the ability. Mike knows everything you could possibly know about scaring inside of Monsters University. Then at the end of it, he learns, I know I have the knowledge, but I'm not good at this. I don't have the physical ability. So he's willing to give his knowledge to Sully as a friend at the end of Monsters University and at the beginning of Monsters, Inc. That's the position he's in, is he is the assistant. It's like if Salieri hadn't gone crazy inside of Amadeus. Uh, he would just say, I know all there is to know about theory, but I will never be as good as Mozart is, so... I will do everything I can to help Mozart. Let's not get into the historical inaccuracies because I don't really care about that right now. I'm talking about the story that is Amadeus, and that's not what this podcast is about anyway. So uh, leave me alone. So, I mean, those are some pretty basic things. It shows how they do a lot of things right inside the prequel. But why is this the greatest prequel ever made, in my opinion? Well, for one, it's one of the few to actually get around those hurdles. But that's not enough. That is, that's the bare minimum for a, a decent prequel what shoots this forward for me even though a lot of prequels don't even get to that starting line what launches this into one of unquestionably the best prequels ever is it makes the ending of monsters inc better so the plot of monsters inc is like i said mike is sully's assistant sully is about to break the all-time scare record and mike is helping him along the way mike helps him with his exercises he gives him advice on how to scare kids better they are the perfect team then sully finds this kid and he takes it in and he realizes that the kid isn't dangerous and he wants to protect it and get it back home and throughout this 
Mike, who's being really panicky about the situation, he doesn't want to get arrested because while he's not where he wanted to be, we'll come to that later, while he's not where he wanted to be, he's still living the good life. He does not want to go to jail. He wants to keep beating that record because he wants to be on that greatest scare team of all time title. And inside of his panic, he's constantly doing things that make Boo laugh, that explode things with the amount of energy that the laughter creates. So you have all of the plot twists and the intrigue and Boo finally goes home. But as Waternoose is being taken away for his crimes against humanity and monsterity, he says, where are people going to get their screams? You've doomed us all because now there will be no energy. And Sully has the idea, wait, we can use laughter. That's more powerful. It does way more than screaming ever did. Uh, screaming would make the lights flicker, but Boo laughing would short out an entire building, and it's amazing. So they do that, and because Mike is so accident-prone, Mike is the best at getting kids to laugh, and he's suddenly on top. Now, keep that in mind. Mike becomes the best. Going back to Monsters University, it was a brilliant idea to make Mike the main character. Because we follow Mike, Mike is told by a scarer he should become a scarer because he was very small and he was very stealthy. He got into a room behind a scarer and the scarer didn't know he was in there. And the scarer was just amazed and said, you could be a scarer because you are very sneaky and you could use that. So Mike studies everything there is to know about scaring and he gets into the most prestigious school in the country, Monsters University. And he gets into the scare program and he is acing all of his classes. But the problem is he's not scary. He knows everything there is to know about scaring, but he's not scary. From a misunderstanding, he and Sully get kicked out of the scare program. And then there's the scaring competition that I mentioned earlier. And he makes a bet with the Dean that if he and his fraternity with Sully win then they'll be let back into the scare program and they get to the final round. There's only them and one scare fraternity left, uh, the head of which is voiced by Nathan Fillion, which is always awesome. And Mike goes in and he does everything just right. And the fake kid that is used to test the scare potential of the monster inside the room, it just goes bananas and is scared to death. And then it comes out that Sully when he was in the room before, messed with the scare sensor. He made it super easy so that Mike would win. And he tells him, the reason that I did that is because you're not scary. I mean, you know everything there is to know about scaring. In your brain, you're the greatest scare who ever lived, but you're not scary. And so to prove him wrong, Mike goes into a room with a with a bunch of doors into the human world. And he goes into a summer camp and tries to scare a kid. And the kid doesn't scream because Mike's not scary. And so he goes and sulks. Sully goes in after him and he finds him and tries to bring him back. But the door is turned off. And so Mike uses his knowledge and Sully's ability to scare a group of adults. And that scare makes all the adults scream loud enough that they power the door from the opposite side. And then they run in and they're saved. 
Then uh, it comes out that Sully cheated and helped Mike win, so they lost the bet. So, so they get kicked out of school, not just the scare program, but the other guys in the fraternity, since they didn't know anything about it, they get led into the scare program, and they end up doing very well. And Mike and Sully get jobs in the mailroom at Monsters, Inc., and they work their way up to being scarers, and all is right with the world. So this was... This is why it is so good, and it makes the ending to Monsters, Inc. better. All that Mike wanted out of life was he wanted to be a scarer so bad. He wanted to, not and not just be a scarer, he wanted to be the best scarer in the world, and he knew he could do it. And then he finds out, and not just because people tell him, because he kept fighting against people telling him that you, he wouldn't be any good for his enti- for the entire movie. He just says, no, I can do this. No, I can do this. And then he's finally faced with reality and he realizes, I can't do this. I am not good enough. And it's nothing I can do to change it. It is literally something I was born with, which, you know, it's his appearance. He does. He look kind of level, looks kind of lovable. He doesn't have the big teeth of, and the claws and the horns of Sully. And he's just a ball. And he finally realizes I'm not good enough, but however, I can help my friend. And that's where he ends. Flash forward to the end of Monsters Universe, Monsters Inc. And they find a new power source that is even better, lets you have a similar job, and Mike is the best at it. I don't know if this was done intentionally. I don't know if at some point somebody said, if we were to make it to where Mike really wants to be a scarer and he just cannot do it, it'll be better because that'll make the ending to Monsters Inc. better. But that is what happened. And it is so good. And I am, as soon as it ended, I thought, wow, that was amazing. They somehow made what was already a really good ending even better. Because you feel so bad for Mike in that moment when he cannot scare a nine-year-old girl. And she actually, like, laughs at him a little bit. Well, she doesn't laugh at him, otherwise the door would have been powered. But she actually looks at him and says, you look funny. And... He runs away and Mike finds uh, Sully finds him sitting next to a lake and he's just devastated. His whole life has been building up to that moment and it's not that he dropped the ball. He did everything that he could. He just was not good enough. And then knowing that after the movie ends, when you think about where Monsters, Inc. ends up, you think, oh, he got what he wanted. He got his dream. But it also gives Sully what he wanted. So when you first meet Sully, you find out that his dad was an amazing scarer, considered one of the best, not the best, but one of the best that has ever had the job. And he's living in his dad's shadow. Everybody is comparing him to his dad. Everybody says, uh, you're a Sullivan. Everybody expects great things from you. Uh, you're, we want you to be like your dad, you know, yada, yada, yada. It's been done before. And he's living in that shadow, and he does become the greatest living scarer inside of Monsters, Inc. He never, he doesn't break the record, the greatest working scarer. He doesn't break the record, otherwise he would be the greatest, but at the time, in Monsters, Inc., he is the best in the world. But, you know, you don't know if he surpassed his father. You don't, it may be his father's record that he falls short of. Ooh, that would be a really good thing if they had added that little line. But at the end, he becomes not a scarer. He stops that so he becomes his own person at the end of Monsters, Inc. 
He kind of does because he becomes okay with being kicked out of his dad's alma mater instead of Monsters University. But then he steps out of his dad's career and what was expected of him at the end of Monsters, Inc. But then he surpasses his father and becomes the head of the company, which is something that, as far as we know, his dad never did. So uh, that is why Monsters University is the greatest prequel ever made is because it makes the ending to Monsters, Inc. better. And you can watch it without spoiling anything. All right, so uh, that's it for this week. I'll be back next week. We're finally done with the holidays. Things are a little less crazy and whatnot. So email me at more to that story podcast at gmail.com if you have any suggestions or any questions, or if there's a movie that you feel is underrated, or if there's a movie that you feel is way overrated. <laughs> Or if there's a movie that you would like to know what people like about it. Email me all of these things and more uh, if you just want to talk. I've been doing these unscripted for a little while, so let me know if you think I should go back to the script. And yeah, so subscribe and I will talk to you next week.